0: You're listening to Life Church podcast with Pastor Bill
1: Carpenter. This is Galatians 2:15 through 21, where the Apostle Paul writes, "We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ." but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is God's word.
2: Well, it's my distinct privilege to spend uh, the next four weeks talking about the Protestant Reformation. It is the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. But as Pastor Bill mentioned, we're doing this in four parts, and that's for a reason, because there really were four branches of the Reformation. Four different groups were trying to reform the church in the 1500s. I want to talk about one of those groups, the Lutheran Reformation The reality is the church needed lots of reform in 1517. A lot. Um, This was happening in the church 500 years ago. If you were baptized and professing Jesus, you were basically saved. But to make sure you were really saved and to make sure that you would go to heaven immediately to be with God, you could purchase a document that would assure you that you went straight to heaven when you died and didn't have to spend time being purified. And that document was called an indulgence. So you pay out money to make sure that you're fully saved. That's pretty warped. How did we get to that place in the Western church? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so you actually have to go way back and talk about the, the, this, the sacrament of penance, or the practice of penance. What that was is how you got to process your sin. And you'd confess to a church leader, to a priest, and then you'd be forgiven. But the church knew that sinners need time to recover in some ways. So they would, they would have a period of discipline. Even after you were forgiven, they'd say, okay, now make sure you do this discipline and you know, we still see this occasionally. Like I was part of a church where a youth pastor was caught smoking marijuana, and so he was put under discipline. Even after he was, you know, he confessed and he was forgiven, they still put him under this probationary period um, instead of just excommunicating him or something like that. So it seemed to work well enough. But what happens if any sin you do requires this disciplinary period? Christians were anxious. So, the institutional church thought of ways to help with this anxiety. And so, what they said is, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, you can shorten these things uh, if, if need be. Through your extraordinary acts of righteousness, you can make sure that you don't have anything going into the afterlife. But Christians were still anxious. And before you know it, people began asking, what happens if I don't have all my discipline out of the way when I die? Well, that's where the doctrine of purgatory came from. Have you ever heard of purgatory? Okay. So you can hear in the word purgatory the word purge. It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like an overtime <laughs> period in life, or rather in death, where you get to purge your sins, or rather take care of the, 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 the discipline period, take care of the temporal punishments, uh, to use the official term. Well, that got Christians really anxious. But the institutional church said, no, we have ways to bring this period of punishment down, and that is what you call an indulgence. And the Pope wasn't the one to think this up, but in the uh, 11th century, the one, 1000s, 1100s, as the doctrine of purgatory is coming forward in all of this, the Pope says, uh, I will make sure that all of your disciplinary period is taken care of, provided that you do an extraordinary act of righteousness like go on a crusade. Or for others who wanted to support the crusade, they would give money, perhaps a lot of money, and then the the indulgence would be extended to that person. You're like, but, but how does the Pope shorten that period of discipline? Well, it gets even more complicated. This doctrine of the treasury of merit was developed to justify that. Okay, and this is where it gets really weird. So imagine if all of us have a joint spiritual bank account. And so that way, if Jeannie sins, um, in theory, Roy's righteousness could be applied. Not that you've sinned recently. (laughs) But Roy's righteousness could be applied to her. Um, Or for that matter, what if Roy really messed up bad? Well, then maybe a really powerful saint like John the Apostle could be applied to you. Or the Virgin Mary's righteousness could be applied to you, Larry. You know, uh, anybody uncomfortable yet? Okay, so this idea of a joint bank account then was extended. So indulgences could apply uh, righteousness over here, and only the pope was allowed to authorize it like a central banker. Now, actually, the church uh, could do some good things with this. They could raise funds and apply it to good things like helping the poor. But oftentimes, indulgences could be released, and you'd get a piece of paper to say that you purchased an indulgence, Maybe that money would go towards building a bridge or funding a war. And it got worse and worse until in 1517, lots of people were bothered by the practice of indulgences, including this monk who had turned into a professor by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was this young professor in the the city of Wittenberg, and he taught Bible and theology. And he was troubled. He was like everybody else, really anxious. He cared about his salvation, he wanted to be holy. But his thing was, he could never assure himself that he was holy enough. Or if he confessed his sins, he, had, he could never convince himself that he had confessed enough. So he said he used to go to his, his mentor, his confessor, and he would just like spend hours like thinking up every possible sin to confess because he really didn't want to go to purgatory. And you might say Martin Luther was OCD. But you know what? He wasn't alone. Everybody was anxious about their salvation. something happened to Martin Luther. As he was teaching through Paul's epistles, including and especially Galatians and Romans, he came to this understanding. He read this, and he took it at face value, that our justification, that is our being declared righteous by God, is not on the basis of what we do, or the money we give, or any extraordinary acts of righteousness. The only thing that makes us right with God is the blood of Jesus. Is Jesus' righteousness. God's righteousness is what God finds when he looks at us. He looks at us and he sees Jesus. And that is what matters. That's where it starts and ends. So Martin Luther discovered this. Well, in 1517, he releases this document. You've probably heard of it, the 95 Theses. That is, they were 95 disputation points, like 95 things to argue about. And, and And he nailed it up to the Wittenberg church door, we think, which was a normal way of posting. It was like a bulletin board. You know, so he puts up his 95 Theses. So it's not unusual. It's not even unusual that he was challenging indulgences. What was unusual is that it set off a firestorm. Within weeks in the Holy Roman Empire, there in Central Europe, all of a sudden, everybody had a copy of the 95 Theses. Everybody was talking about it. And in the 95 Theses, Luther challenges the the practice of indulgences. But behind it, you hear this theme that's going to come out really loudly in his early ministry, which is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Alone. The only thing we can come to with God is faith. You don't bring your righteousness. You don't bring your good deeds. You don't bring your indulgence. You bring faith. You just simply say, I receive it. I receive your righteousness. I trust you, Jesus. and That's it. Well, that was a really powerful concept. So it wasn't just the Lutherans who picked this up, those who were around Martin Luther, who were eventually called Lutherans. They clung on to this and began developing their own doctrines. They had their own reformation in the Holy Roman Empire. And to this day, you find lots of Lutherans in Germany, in Denmark, the Scandinavian countries. But other reformers... Other people uh, who are Protestants took up these ideas, too. And guess what? We practice that here, too. We believe that here, too. We are justified by faith and faith alone. You cannot get yourself right with God apart from Jesus. It's only Jesus' blood that makes you right with God. It still matters today, which is why we're still talking about it today, 500 years later. In conclusion, uh, I've been fascinated by indulgences like how it developed and what you, what people did with them and all that stuff. So one year I decided that I would print off some indulgences. You can find them online. So I printed off a bunch, and I took the paper and I soaked it in coffee, and then I put it in the oven to dry it out so it looked really old. And then I rolled them up and tied a little bow around them, and then I handed them out to the trick-or-treaters. <laughs> and on the bottom I wrote... On the model, I wrote, works-based righteousness is scary. (laughs) Happy Reformation Day, which is also October 31st, okay? It's the the day that Martin Luther nailed up the 95 Theses. You know, for some reason, we didn't get any trick-or-treaters the next year. (laughs) If I could do it again, I think I would say the same thing, although I'd probably hand out more candy along with it to make it go down better. But I think, I think I would write the same thing, except I would say, workspace righteousness is scary. But in Jesus Christ, you are righteous. You are right before God. We still believe that today. Pastor Bill is going to come up and preach not Luther, but preach the Word of God, okay? You all understand why Nathan is not in
0: charge of the Harvest Festival? <laughs> and he never will be, Okay. <laughs> It is really uh, an awesome gift to have theologians in your congregation, Uh, especially if you are a charismatic congregation. (laughs) Sometimes you and I, as charismatics, we are able to really just... We have such liberty, we take such liberty to just throw ourselves into any passage of scripture, Old or New Testament, we just put ourselves in there, you know, ah, yeah, I'm right there, yeah, you know, and uh, theologians help to pull us out of some of those places and center us where we need to be. I have great, great appreciation for Nathan and Christina both, and I'm so grateful for these years that they have been serving in Life Church in what they bring to the table and look forward to, to many, many more years of that with them, and uh, just enjoy uh, what, what we get, the richness of understanding what has happened historically and bring that in uh, and, and, and the context in which some of these things actually transpired. It's so helpful to all of us and so I encourage you get in you know get into some of the books and read read some of this stuff uh, that helps you to understand why uh, we still hold on to these things and why we still uh, push and press in some of these particular doctrines that we do and we cherish them and we hold on to them but we also protect them you know we, we, we hold to them in such a way that not only are they dear to us and and it's not just a matter of romanticizing them, but it's a matter of protecting them, even protecting the nuances of them. Uh, and so we very much want you to understand what you believe, all right? <laughs> not just that you, you accept it, you know, without, without that understanding. Uh, let me ask you some questions. We're going to just take a few minutes here. We're not going to be here long this morning. I am, as, as Nathan pointed out, going to talk to you about faith alone. All right, and those are the two words I want you to really walk away from here today with: is faith alone. All right. And that's what really, really holds you. But, you know, there's there's some terminology out there that's used in the world that we we tend to shy away from because we think of it as, well, that's a new age thing or that's this or that's that or that's occult, or or whatever. Um, And we lose a lot of good words when we do that kind of stuff. Okay, And uh, what is what is centering? Centering is, is a concept that's used in, in a lot of different kinds of, of thoughts and workshops and places uh, that are maybe mystical or spiritual, and, and, and I, I get all of that. But, but for us, what is centering? Because a few years ago, we actually spent an entire year centering, all right? Uh, what did we do? We focused, all right, we, we moved ourselves in, into a real focus, and that focus for that year, that whole series, an entire year long series, was Jesus. All right, we, we went with nothing else. It was the, the words that Jesus spoke, it was the parables of Jesus, it was the prophecies of Jesus, those kinds of but we focused on, on Jesus. Uh, what does it mean to center ourselves? It means to bring ourselves back to a place where we are grounded, a place where we are, where it's most important for us to land, all right? Why, why would that be important for you and I? Because as people, as humans, we have a tendency to wander. We have a tendency to, to move out. We're, we're referenced as sheep, okay? There's reasons for those kinds of analogies, all right? Uh, and not all of them are, are the best, okay we have a tendency we're prone to wander about in other words to to move outside of what is center what is is the grounding point for us okay and even as christians all right beyond just being humans but as christians we have this same tendency and and what nathan was saying to you is and explaining to you so beautifully was look at what happened to the church it, it just it gets broader and broader and further and further, and the crazy making gets bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper, and therefore more threatening to the centrality of Jesus Christ of the gospel. And that's why these people were very anxious. They weren't just walking around going, "Wow, this is just crazy making. This is just weird. How do people think up these kind of things? What's wrong with the pope?" You know, this sort. No, it was like, "We're away." The church, the church is moving us away. We're, 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 we're being pulled, we're being, we're being like like taken from what is absolutely essential, what is important to us. And so this is where the anxiety was building. All right. But here's what I want you to understand. Not only was the anxiety building based on where people were seeing the church going and what had already started to happen and what they were experiencing. Okay, but people were anxious because they didn't know where it would end. They didn't know where it would get to, and so there was there was this precarious kind of feeling in 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 the the people of God, which I believe I believe. Um, and Nathan's always free to correct me on anything that I imply or say that is not historically correct here. Okay, um, but I believe that that was that was a catalyst for prayer and and people were praying so this isn't just that well the church ran run amok and everything went to hell in a handbasket so to so to speak stuff you know but 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 there were people who were praying and they were concerned and and Martin Luther was one of those people. I mean, if you read about this man and how he prayed and <laughs> some of the stuff he did when he prayed, uh, it was a bit bizarre, okay? But, but it wasn't because he was crazy or he was going amok with the church. It was because he was desperate. And, and let's be honest, how many of you in a desperate moment have prayed some really weird prayers or, done, or attached some really weird stuff to your prayer? All right, because you were desperate and you weren't getting an answer. But here's what I want you to see. During this time, the printing press had, had come into play and was, was, was producing mass copies of things. And, and, and people were starting to recognize that the church was going wacky and, and going off in, in places. And it wasn't just Martin Luther, but as as Nathan pointed out, others, you know, were, were doing the same kind of thing. Um, government and church were, you know budding heads and, and and working covertly around each other and there was all kinds of things going on in, in that messed up world. But God was not unaware. And the Spirit of God began to move And the spirit of revelation began to come forth. And as men like Martin Luther and others began to pray and seek God, revelation began to come to them. You see, Martin Luther had read Galatians. He had read Romans. He He had read it over and over and over again. But there's something that happened here, and that was that revelation came. And Martin Luther began to see and understand this truth in such a dramatic and dynamic way that it just propelled him. It moved this man. It it shook him. And that's what freedom does. When you're bound and you're you're held and you're oppressed by something, whether that's a a, a sin in your your personal life or a a, a structure or an organization or the church or whatever, when you find freedom, it shakes you (laughs) It, it, it literally, because what freedom does, what truth and revelation and freedom does, is it picks you up out of that place of bondage, out of that, that place of containment, and it sets you in the place of freedom where you can begin to move and flourish. And this is what the Holy Spirit was doing, and this is what Reformation does. Reform brings us back to Center. Reform brings us back to that place that we need to be. The word reform means to improve something by removing faults. Uh, It also means to, to get rid of unacceptable habits. It means to change structure. Now I'm not talking about structure like necessarily just like a a governmental structure like in in the church, but I'm talking about it'll change the structure like in strongholds that have been able to develop in our mind or our thinking. It's able to, to, to change that structure or to tear that structure down and rebuild in such a way that reform comes. In other words, I no longer think out here outside of truth, but I begin to establish truth and build on that. So my thinking Structure comes back into alignment. It also means character improvement. All right. So these are aspects of reform. This is what takes place, and that's where I want to go today with you. Is I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is at work today, now in Life Church, just like the Holy Spirit was at work in the days of Martin Luther to bring Reformation collectively across a broad. Uh, vast region of the world, all right, that, that went on from there and spread and spread and spread. As Nathan pointed out, it was like fire. It just, it just went out. It was an amazing thing, which says it had to have been the Spirit of God at work in this, breathing on this to make it move this way. But I don't want you to discount the personal movement of God. I don't want you to discount the personal reformation that God is trying to do. See, a lot of times when God wants to do something very personal in our lives, we depersonalize ourselves. We step into the bigger picture. So when God is wanting to do something in you personally, what you will do oftentimes to deflect that work of God is put yourself in life church. Well, I'm just a part of life church. And so you start to look at everybody else around you and see what God is doing in life church and you can get to feel good about that and no longer are you feeling the sense of conviction that God is bringing to you to reform you. And I want you today to understand that a lot of us have a tendency to wander away from this very valuable truth of being justified by faith alone. And when we wander away from that truth, that reality, that very central uh, piece of our gospel, that's when we start to bring in attachments. That's when we start to build something or add something to what God has already done. And when we do that, we discount the power of what God has already done, and we skew Truth, And so then truth has elements of truth in it, but then it has these attachments to it that can oftentimes really debilitate us and can really, really wreak havoc in our relationship with the Lord or with one another. And so it's very, very important that you and I understand as God's people that we are not saved by anything but but the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is absolutely nothing that you and I can attach to that. But we do that because we live in such a crazy world. How many of you uh, like roller coasters? I know that Susan Boost does. The only, the only time I've ever been to Disneyland, I, I went along with Wendell and Susan. And I saw, I saw a Susan that I don't think some of you know. All right? Okay. Um, but she and my daughter love roller coasters. My daughter, we went to Dolly something or other. Dollywood. Dollywood down in Tennessee. All right? It's, it's just as glittery and what it, blingy as Dolly, okay? And it has a roller coaster like no other roller coasters. And I rode that roller coaster in one day with my daughter, who was a very small little girl. Uh, I rode that roller coaster 32 times. Wow. 32 times we rode that roller coaster. She would get off the roller coaster, run around, and get right back in line. Come on, Daddy, come on, come on. And we rode it over and over and over. At first, I sort of liked it. I like roller coasters. They're okay, you know. Uh, There are things that I don't like about them, but things that that are fine and and i was willing to ride it with her this is my daughter my little baby girl i'm gonna ride with her and you know i really thought six times and she'll be done 12 we are really done you know 18 and i'm just like my goodness you know we went away i mean i just pulled her away and she just pulled me right back after a little while we had to go back to the roller coaster we had to end up you know with with the roller coaster um Here's, here's, Disney has great roller coasters. Other places do too. What is my point here? My point is this. Um, I, I love the, the jerk. I love the, the speed. I love the, the going down into the dark places and, and coming out. I love the going upside down and, and the twisting around and all of that kind of stuff. All right, I enjoy the thrill for a moment, but then I've had enough and life is like that you know and and if you keep getting the jerk and you keep getting the spin and you keep going down in the dark places you start looking around for what you can do you know it's like what how can i get her to see something else better you know and you, and you, and you start thinking what 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 in the where are we going to end with this you know and you start to feel sick you know see life gets that way life life gets Sometimes to the place where we are on an adrenaline rush and we're there longer than we want to be or longer than we need to be. And there are certain things about life that get get out of control, like we don't have any control over them. There are some of these dark places that your life dives down into occasionally, and you don't even know when you're going to come back up. You're just hoping you do. You know, you believe that you will. You know, I've seen this before, and I know that there's a light on the other side. You know, some of you say things like, I just, I can get by if I just know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, things like that. But the reality is there are places in life that are like a ride on a roller coaster. They, they grab a hold of us. And the truth is we can't stay there for very long. We, we, sooner or later, that ride's got to stop and we got to get off, you know. And when life doesn't feel like it's going to stop and we can get off, we start looking for other things. We start looking for answers. We start looking for ways. We start looking for opportunities. And that's what happens in the spiritual walk. When, when, when it gets tough and, and, and we are feeling like, well, maybe I'm not saved. Or maybe God isn't as faithful as the Bible says he is. Or or maybe there isn't an answer, or maybe God doesn't really have an answer for this situation in my life, and maybe it's going to be up to me, and I have to figure this one out. I have to find out what's going on. I have to decide what to do, and then I have to do it. And so we move into a control kind of of mentality, and and we say, you know what? I've, I've got to take care of things. And that's such a dangerous place for us to land because then we start to add things to our salvation. We start and we begin to use other things to actually disqualify the sovereignty and the power of God and diminish His ability and the value of what He has already done because we, we just can't trust that. So every time the enemy crunches you, every time the enemy squeezes you, every time life comes in on you, this is the temptation to look outside of what we already have. And this is, Paul gets this. Paul didn't get it at first. It was only after he got knocked down that he then eventually got this. And he goes, Here's what I understand now I was chief among those who kept the law. That's what he's saying in Galatians. I kept it, I had it. But what I understand is, I'm saved by faith alone, not the works of the law. So much so to say, I'm dead to the law. Now, please understand, side note, Paul is not saying, I throw the law out. Those of you who just got ready to go sin, all right, get unready, all right? Just come on back in here, all right? I didn't give you permission to do anything, and don't you tell anybody I did, all right? Because I didn't. All right, Paul's not throwing the law out. He's saying, what I thought the law would do for me, I'm dead to that. So no longer does the law have that hold on me. And he goes a step further. He says, not only that, I'm not going to go back and build back what I've already torn down. I'm free. I'm living in this truth that nothing can save me but Jesus and what He has done. And that's what I, I, I want you to, to, to understand that today, all right? If, if, apart from the gospel, life is this sort of roller coaster thing, all right? And we are looking for that that is consistently stabilizing us, that, that, that force that works to hold us together, to hold our lives together. And folks, that is the gospel and nothing else. My heart would go crazy were it not for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing I put my hope in. And if I do put my hope in something else, woe is me, all right? Because I have then I have transgressed in that place. My joy, my peace, it's all based upon the gospel. If it's based upon how I'm doing physically or how I'm doing emotionally or relationally or financially or, or in any other way, then my life is like a roller coaster. My life is like Space Mountain, all right? But but here's what I want you to understand. Even when things go good, you need to know that your joy and your peace are derived from Jesus alone and not from those things and not from those situations. When Jesus sent the 70 out and they came back from their first missionary experience, they came back and they were rejoicing. The Bible says they were filled with joy because these demons actually bowed to them. And what did Jesus say to them? He didn't even mention that. He didn't even even acknowledge what they had just said. He looks at them and he says, Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. In other words, rejoice in what has already been done for you. Stay centered. Don't, Don't get out here in this stuff and this activity and these things, but stay centered right where you need to be. Rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. All right? Uh, there's, there's so much to say here, and, and you know, w- with the limited time today, we're trying to just pick, through, through these sermons, we're going to just try to pick this one key piece that we're going to land on and just, we're just going to throw that at you today, all right, and, not, and nothing else, all right? And that is this, and that is that justification by faith alone is the place that you and I land and we stay centered right there because that is what, what Paul is talking about here, all right? And, he, and he's saying we can't, we can't put justification in anything else, all right? So, so, so these works that we did and, and, and the works that we might do, they cannot, they will not, they do not save us. And he's teaching some amazing life-changing truths here in this book of Galatians, as well as he does in Romans and other places uh, uh, the the same. But but what I want you to understand here is that he is is like unpacking here this revelation of all revelations in a sense because even Martin Luther says, you know what, the church rises and falls on this truth that we are justified by faith alone and nothing else. All right, so... Everyone's life is centered on something. Paul realizes this, all right? But what is your life centered on in life, church? What what is it that gives you your peace? What is it that gives you your joy? What is it that fulfills you? What gives you your satisfaction in life? And these may be some subtle things that you have to identify, and God will reveal them. God will show them to you. You know what the Bible says? God will share his glory with no one. And and the fuller meaning of that, I believe, is God shares his glory with no one or no thing. All right? So God's not going to co-justify you. He's not going to let something else co-labor here, all right, and work on your behalf because he's already done it through his son he's paid the ultimate price so nothing else helps it only cheapens and so when we live out of that other place and we put our trust or our confidence in that other thing which oftentimes is ourselves then we are cheapening what god has already given to us through jesus christ luther knew this on one of his writings he said it is most necessary that living out the implications of the gospel is that we, we pound this into people. He actually said, we beat this over people's heads. <laughs> that tells you how intense and how passionate he was. But he's like, this is it. Everyone has to get this, all right? And, and that's what we're saying today. As your pastors, we're telling you, hey, all that other stuff that, that you think about, all that other stuff you wonder about, You know, well, if I just did this, would it make me feel better? Would it get me something? And you may not be saying that word for word, but if, if that's how you're responding to yourself and to God, that's really what you're saying. "Is all right, I, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about what if. Well, what if this? What, how many of you, at any point in your life, you were brought to the place of maybe tears or almost tears because you questioned your salvation. Huh? Yeah. It, it, it is, it, it, that's, please understand, that's not an uncommon thing. Don't, you don't have to be ashamed of the fact that you've questioned it. But you need to realize, what is it that I've done with that? Did I, did I put that under the cross? Did I put that under the blood of Jesus? Did I come back centered to Jesus? And did I, did I come back to the reality and the confidence that Jesus alone saves me and that I'm justified by my faith alone and nothing else that I do? I've had people sit with me and, and, and they've talked about how they, even even as a child, they, they couldn't sleep at night because they were afraid that they weren't saved. I've had, I had students come to me and and. and, and just in tears, say, you know what? I've had such anxiety because I've, I've walked the floor at night just, just thinking, what if I'm not saved? What if I need to do something? <laughs> I, I had this kind of, like, spiritual um, catastrophe. But I was in my 20s. And I was, in, 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 uh, I was attending a Bible college, of all places. I had good people all around me. I was trying to serve God. And there was just a simple incident that that shook me, and it shook me to the core. But it was a moment where the enemy could get in, and I questioned my own salvation, my own ability to be saved in that moment and had sleepless nights and, and dreadful moments of anxiety because I wasn't sure in that moment And the husband of one of the professors came to me in, on, on an afternoon. And he ha- back in that day, we, we listened to cassette tapes. All right, he, he brought me a set of, of, of the Bible on cassette, the dramatic version. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, Bill, I don't know what to tell you. I know this helped me in my darkest place. Just listen. Just listen to the word. Guess where he landed me. He goes, If you don't mind, I'd I'd suggest Galatians. Just go in there. Just listen. The dramatic version of Galatians can change your life. It wasn't because it was dramatic. It was because it was truth. Truth brought me back to the place of being centered. And that moment when the Spirit breathed on that truth, and I could understand again that I am saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. Man, what liberation that was for me. And so I I want to challenge you and I today that we understand. See, justification is the exact opposite of condemnation, and I want you to understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is only justification for you, all right? To condemn is to declare someone guilty, to justify is to declare him or her not guilty. It is actually to say, you are innocent or you are righteous, okay? But the, the, the Greek word here, it, 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 it's, it, to understand it right is to say, it is to show, it is to declare righteousness. It is to, to declare what God imputes, all right? In other words, what God extends as a quality to someone else. So God imputes, God extends this righteousness to you and I. He shows you and I before the world, before the enemy, and before all of the kingdom of God that we are righteous. Okay, now, you in and of yourself can never be righteous. This is the beauty of this message. By faith, this righteousness is imputed to you. You are declared righteous. Nathan can do all the things in the world he wants to do, but none of them are going to make him righteous no matter how good and great they are. But God sees him not through his works, but God sees him through the cross, through the work of Christ on the cross. Redemption. He's redeemed, all right? He's purchased, in other words. He's, he's, he's bought back, if you will, and he's justified so that when the enemy looks at Nathan, what the enemy sees is a clean man based on the righteousness of Jesus, not his own merit. And so Nathan can sit here in Life Church and go, oh, Thank you, God, because I don't have to earn it. I don't have to buy something. I don't have to carry around a piece of paper in some little pocket all the time holding to that, you know, thinking about it. Every time I think about it, I I can hold that. Listen, the work of Jesus Christ is no rabbit's foot. It never will be. Never was meant to be, never will be, all right? And, and, And you don't have to go around... Rubbing justification. <laughs> it's done. It's a done work for you and I. All right, I, I, I have to wrap this up, all right? I, I want to just read something to you here if I can find it in, in my notes. Um, there's this there's, first century um, on a tomb. Listen to this. All this was written on this, this tomb of this woman. Here lies Regina. She will live again, return to the light again, for she can hope that she will rise to the life promised, a real assurance to the worthy and the pious in that she has deserved to possess an abode in the hallowed land. This your piety has assured you. This your chaste life this your love for your people, this your observance of the law, your devotion to your wedlock, the glory of which was dear to you. For all these deeds, your hope for your future is assured. Good heavens. I don't want to live that way. I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to have some measure of hope that what you did in this life might make you okay to inherit what is in the future life or a place with God. You are with God by faith in the work of the cross and nothing else, and that's where you live. You don't need to put anything on your tomb. All right? I'm going I decided as I was planning this sermon, I'm going to put something, I'm going to have something put on my tombstone. Faith alone. That's all I want. Faith alone. All right? Because nothing else, nothing else will get me there. Nothing else will do it for me. All right? So there, there, there's just so much we, we could go into here, but I, 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 wanted, I just want you to understand If you believe that you can earn your righteousness and go to heaven, number one, you are in bondage. And what you need to do is you need to do a little research and go look at those cultures where they're trying to earn salvation. And you observe their life and how miserable it is. The second thing is you're deceived. I don't know where you got this idea from, but it is a lie. It is the biggest lie of the biggest liar ever known, and that is the devil himself. No one has ever perfectly kept God's law, and no one is going to. And God has done for you what you could not do for yourself in that he has given Jesus Christ to die for your sins. If you are trying to earn your righteousness, you are underestimating God's holiness, and you're overestimating your own sinfulness. Don't do that. Because that is not the way God works, and, and that is so diminishing God. And the fourth thing you're doing is you are misunderstanding the purpose of the law. That was never the intent of the law in the first place. The law drives us to Jesus, and then Jesus enables us to keep the law. That's a whole nother sermon, by the way, okay? And we'll get to that down the road somewhere. Because we are, we are not giving you the ability, all right, to to freely sin here today. All right? We're not giving you an easy out here because there there is obedience that follows this that we're going to talk about later. But But obedience doesn't save you. There are people who are working the law continuously in the day that we live in, the day and age that we live in. There are people who have created their own law and are trying to live that out as though that's going to save them. But the reality is is that you are not made righteous by works of the law. You're only made righteous by faith in the Son of God, faith in Jesus Christ. So you have been justified. You have been pulled out of the place you were in, and righteousness has been put in you. It is infused into you, all right, by faith. All you have to do is believe this truth that is in God's word. And God imputes that righteousness, and my friend, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your faith alone will save you and nothing else. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you, please. Would you just stand? Let's stand together. See, I think this is cause for celebration. I I think this this gives us something to rejoice about, to celebrate in. And I hope it frees some of you up today. I hope you are just just literally freed up. And here's the thing. Uh, A pastor at Harvard a few years back was in a coffee shop uh, on Harvard Square, and, and he was working on his sermon. He had his Bible open, and this little Chinese girl walked by, and she goes, you're a Christian? And he goes, yes, I am. Are you a Christian? And she goes, yes, I am. And he said, how did you become a Christian? And she looked at him and smiled and said, the narrow gate. And he made a note. That's the only way. The narrow gate. And then he wrote this word, alone. Alone. Faith alone. There is no other way. It's like a turnstile. Every one of you, we're all going through the same turnstile. Faith alone. Saves us. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus in whom is all authority given on heaven and on earth. Father, you have everything that we have need of and you have done everything that we need to be done so that we may be saved, that we may be brought into your kingdom and have communion with you. God, would you release us from our own works? Would you release us from trying so hard to get this ourselves and help us to receive by faith today in a fresh way this this understanding, this cleansing, this justification. We are justified by faith alone. God, would you just etch it in our hearts right now? Would you just turn us, God, in such a direction, Lord, that we can never look back Help us to understand, Father, that this is the justification that leads to new life. Thank you, Father, that we are made new in Christ. And so we take hold of your word today, God, that says we are justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And so let us cause Christ to live through us as we die to ourselves. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the works of of men who have gone on long before us, Lord. And we we rejoice today that we have this faith to rely upon. We thank you today for truth, Lord, that can release us and set us free. We thank you for the change in status for our lives, God, and positionally where we are as sons and daughters of God. We thank you, God, that your spirit, the spirit of your Son, is in our hearts today. We ask you, God, that you would help us that that we would live out this life as a glory unto you, Lord. And that when the enemy comes through whatever means and tries to rebuild the, the, the law or other works in us, God, that we can be strong and bold and courageous to stand on the one truth, and that is that we are justified by faith alone. Father, we declare that today we have been crucified with Christ, yet we live, yet it's not us who is living but it's Christ living through us. To the glory of God, we declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Next week we'll be talking about the Anglican Reformation.